0: Y'all have Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18? It reads there, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Father, I ask that you would help us to to grow, not just growth for intellectual sense or to know more, but to be effective for you. Life is so short, it could be taken away in a moment. So God, let, let us redeem the time, the time that you've given us for, so no man knows when their, their appointment with you is gonna happen. But we do know it's appointed once for a man to die. And then comes the judgment. So I ask God that you'd minister to our hearts. Let us be uh, productive for you. That we would win souls, our friends, our family. Because God, we understand that, that hell is real. And we don't want anyone to go there unnecessary. So put it into us, the urgency to to reach out. I ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. During David's mighty men in January, I, I, I came under a heavy attack. I mean, this was pretty heavy. Um, Nobody really knew about it. It hit me other than Sam. I had shared with Sam, I think, Jose. Or, and um, it was heavy. I tried to keep my composure. Um, but what basically, uh, the person who had agreed to, to sell me where I live, the house, this is a long, drawn-out story which is not really important. But he met a realtor in, in Florida. And... Um, and it seemed like that realtor wanted to uh, change the terms of our agreement. In essence, in my eyes, he wanted to take the home, my house. And, and, and you need to understand, the house when we got it was uninhabitable. Um, the person who, who, leave, who lived in our church, he was, and he made, he was well-intended, good guy. And he, he let the house go into foreclosure. Nobody would buy it. Uh, couldn't get insurance. I mean, it was just, it was amazing that anybody could live there. But a series of events happened, and he, and he, and he left it to, into foreclosure, and I told him, let, let, me, let me help you, and let me take it. We called his mom in Florida, told him what was happening. She said, just get him home, and yeah, we'll do that. So it was cool. So in my spirit, you know, I'm going through these things. Now, it hit me, and I didn't tell him nobody. I was just like, whoa, it just hit me hard, right? Because we had, we had done a lot to it to get it livable. But in my spirit, the Lord says, don't worry about that. Uh, just worship me. You know, and, and how we say it, and you'll hear, I'll tell you that too. You are going Pastor, and I'll say, don't, just pray. And you feel like slapping me. Because you have like, just pray, that's too, what do you mean, just pray? I need, I need help. Anybody feel like that? Right? And so, that's how I kind of felt, you know. Worship. I need worship, I need help, man. But then my disciplines kicked in. I just got to worship you, Lord. So I went and with Mighty Men, and we went to, we were there. Fortunately, there was many services, a lot of worship, and I kept worshiping God, I kept worshiping God, right? <clears throat> Before the next five months, since January until now, I battled in my mind to keep my home. Now, when I say that, because God said, don't worry about it, it's yours, and I, but then I have these attacks coming in. in my, so I had to battle my mind. My mind said, I'm in trouble. My spirit says, don't worry about it. My mind says, you're in trouble. My spirit says, worship the Lord. Anybody been there? I hope I can relate to you because it was a trip. So the difficulty I had is I realized that I could do nothing to change my situation. That was the worst part. There's nothing I could do in my attempt to finance the property, everything. You know, I could not qualify. It's just kind of like the, the campus, when we bought the campus. Uh, I couldn't qualify. I couldn't qualify for a taco at Taco Bell. You know what I mean? And God gave me the campus. It was kind of a repeat thing, but it was, it was a little more personal because it's where we were at. It's very difficult, right? So after being turned down, my faith was challenged. Because I sensed that that realtor from Florida seen an opportunity to come in for the kill. And I I, I didn't argue with him. I I held back. I didn't want to, you know, I did all I could not to fly out to to Florida and choke him out. You know what I mean? Oh, come on now. You know what I mean? Don't leave me hanging out. I'm like, man, this guy here is nothing nice. But I kept it all to myself. My wife wasn't even aware. I go, no, this is not hers. The Lord just said, keep yourself. My sons didn't even know. They just, they just going along life and do skippity doo da, dippity right? And I'm like, man, I'm going through it. The church, could, nobody knew. This was a, a personal fight. Well, <clears throat> after I was turned down and my faith was challenged, I I'd go, whoa, what do I do? And then I, that's when I go, well, Debbie, we turned down and, and I don't know what we're going to do. The very next day, the guy who was doing my loan, and this, this is a miracle, called me up to, Al, don't worry about it. I'm on the phone with him. I said, okay. He goes, I'm going to loan you the money out of my personal account. See that? Thank you very much. You don't know what that means, right? You don't know what that means when somebody says, I'm going to loan you $165,000 out of my personal account. So I said, oh, that's heavy. But then I had a problem. I needed to come up with about $1,200 in cash. And you got to understand, I'm, I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't got that rolling. I ain't rolling like that, you know. Uh, I, the only savings account I have is when I save people's lives. <laughs> right? So I said, wow, what's going to happen? Well, an event happened to me about 10 years ago. And they What happened is I had a a, a Lincoln Town car, and Wells Fargo repossessed my car. I had two months left to pay off the car. And they repossessed it. And I said, "What what are you doing repossessing my car? I only have two months left. He goes, well, you didn't pay insurance on your vehicle. I go, yes, I did pay insurance. We had a big old argument. But they had my car. So I had to come up with 21, no, no. $2,300 $2,300 to get it out of impound and to pay for this back insurance that I had already paid and I shouldn't have paid, but I couldn't argue with them. So I did it. This is 10 years ago. And I felt, I, I go, man, I got burnt. Nothing I could do. Right? It was Wells Fargo. I said, man. Anyway, that was about 10 years ago. I got my car back. I was mad at Wells Fargo. Canceled my account, my checking, you know, everything. I was mad at them. Well, about a three weeks ago, four weeks ago, right before, during this happening, I get a check, I had to pay my pledge. And I get a check in the mail. My wife gave it to me, she goes, look at this. I looked at it, and said, Wells Fargo. What, normally they want money, now they're giving me money? No, wait a minute, I go, I'm looking at it, I go, this is not real, this is fake, somebody's messing with me, man. <laughs> I, th- I think Jose sent me just for a joke or something like that. I couldn't believe I go, what? It was for $4,800. Wow. No, wait, wait, I'm not finished. So I said, what? So what happened? Then I go, well, how come I'm getting this? She goes, well, they got a letter. I go, let me see that letter. And the letter said, we investigated or we didn't audit of our books and we found that you did have insurance and we did overcharge you. So here's the money back. It was like, for that, he goes, and we know that you had, no, There was $780 for that, he goes, and we know that you had to pay roughly $1,500 to get your car out of impound and to pay off the the presumed back payment, right? So that came out to like $2,300. And He goes, and for your trouble, we are adding an extra $2,500 to the check. Now, see, 10 years ago, I was mad at Wells Fargo, and I said, like, why, God? Right? 10 years ago. See, I didn't know that 10 years later, I would need that money to finalize a deal on the house that I live in. Huh? See, that's how things happen. See, sometimes you don't know what you're going through. What What happened? You don't know what you're going through. But these things, everything you go through is for a reason. Are you with me? So what, what happened was I needed to grow in certain areas. Hello. Right? So let me end this story. So after I get the loan, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, the house where we live closed, the loan closed. And now the house is in, in, in actually, my, 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 mine and my son's name. Woo! Amen. Anthony moved in. He moved in. He moved in on the right. I go, Anthony, want you get on the loan? He okay. He goes, hey dad, want you move out? I go, what well, did you move out? I. Just... <laughs> what did you tell me? He goes, well, I'll move, yeah, I'm moving some disciples. You and mom will get a, a townhouse somewhere. I go, well, he's already kicking me out of the house. I just got it. <laughs> Amen. See, while under attack, I knew I needed to focus on what the Lord was showing me. He goes, pay attention to what I'm showing you. Don't worry about the attack. Don't worry about what's going on. Get a, you have to rise above that. I already told you in January I was going to take care of it. Didn't I say I was going to take care of it? Yeah. Well, don't you believe me? Yeah. But help me in my unbelief. I do believe it. Man, sometimes it's hard. Right? He goes, just pay attention to what I want to show you. Right? And then he starts talking about the ministry. See, for our church to grow... God needs to stretch us. Let me say that again. God wants to stretch us in certain areas. And this is where people get all agitated. See, God needs to stretch our mind. He because because the battle, my friend, was in my mind. God told me I had already won the battle. It was a a won victory, but from January till up two weeks ago, in my mind, I couldn't wrap around the fact that he said I got it when this is still happening to me and there's no money and there's no way I can't do any of this. God said, I got it. Everything you go through is right there. Right? Right? It's in the mind. Huh? That's what he said. And then what does God tell Isaiah in the opening of scripture? He he can write to me with Isaiah. Come here. Let's reason together. In other words, God says, Come here, let's talk. We need to talk about the way you think. Right? In your mind. God reasons with us. He reasons, and this is how he begins. This is the catch from the pastor, from the Pope, from Pastor Sonny, Nikki, all the way down to you. The first thing God always addresses is we need to make sure that there isn't a sin problem. Because if you want my blessing, the only thing that's going to hold my abundance in your life if there's a sin problem. So I have to make sure I have to clean and work on areas in my life that would not cause me to hinder because he wanted to get into my mind. See, sin begins in the mind. James tells us in the book of James, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by their own desire. The, The then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, full grown brings forth death. So he says, by your own desire, means sin begins in the mind. Hello. Right? Jesus who, in all things, suffered like us. He felt rejection. He felt pain. Huh? He was, he was, he felt God had abandoned him. And God said, I'm gonna raise you up. He knew that God promised to raise him up and give him a name that was above all names. Nonetheless, at the cross, he said, God, are you sure? Is there another way? See, in his humanness, he had doubt. He believed God. He walked to the cross, but while he was to the cross, God, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Why? Because God had to deal with and had to get into the mind. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are warned what not to do and what to do. Right? In the same book of James, chapter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it. Think about that. Whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So, whatever, if you know something right to do and you don't do it, guess what? Sin. Huh? See, the ministry of the Holy Spirit will do that. Also, God will use, because you get into the mind, He wants to reason with you through the ministry of leadership. Then all of a sudden, leadership, be leaders are challenge you into service. Why? Because service has something to do with dealing with your sin issue. Don't expect God to work in your life if all you do is come to church and sit at home and watch TV. He doesn't work that way. I always said He has to work through you so He can work in you. That's why many people come to church and never change, because they, they don't understand that service. It's very important because you're challenged to service, right? Check this out. Isaiah, the same opening chapter, verse 18 to 20. Let's read the whole thing. Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Verse 19, if, here's the key, if you are willing and, let me say it again, help me out. If you are willing and obedient. obedient. Obedience is a hard word. If you are willing and obedient. Let me say that again. If you are willing and obedient. Not just willing. Obedient. You shall eat the good of the land. Don't, does anybody want to eat the good of the land? Yeah. Amen. Want well, The good of the land. But there's, all, there's a caveat to that. He said, but. Say, but, but. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, once we become white as snow, and that's what he wants to do. Look, you need to deal with this. If you obey and you're willing, I got you. I got your back. Now, from January to now, I have not been perfect. Now, I know it's hard to believe. I've made errors. I've walked in the spirit, and I've walked in the flesh. Right? But see, God overlooked that. Why? You know why? because of my service, not because of who I am, because of my service, because as I continue to serve, God continued to work in my life. Service is an important defense against the devil. See, once you become white as snow, you need to to develop staying power. And that staying power, again, you need to get beyond sin into service. Paul was talking to the Hebrew church in chapter 13, verse 18, and he says, may may he equip you, talk about the Lord, with all you need for doing his will. So he said, may God equip you for all you're doing, for, to equip you for doing his will. Not equip you to make you live happy. Not equip you so that you can have everything you want. Not equip you so that, that your baby's running around and call you blessed. No, no, no. May God equip you for everything you need for doing his will. See, the equipping and the things necessary to walk and stay only come when you do his will. It doesn't come after, well, God, get me ready. I'll do your will. No, 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 no. Just go ahead and do it, and then I'll get you ready. Hmm? Because you you don't want to be overexposed. I'm gonna talk about that in the end. You don't want to be overexposed. Hmm. See, the next thing God has to do, He begins with your mind. I'm talking about service, then He then He begins to reason with you about your ministry. Because every one of us should have a ministry. Now it doesn't mean you have a pastor, but there should be something that you do that is of benefit to the kingdom of God. Amen. It has to. That's how the gospel was spread. That's how people's lives were changed. That's how the home was filled. That's how the campus came. That's how, that's how Pastor Sonny established a world ministry because somebody, people caught it. They understood that they were part of the wave. huh? And they knew that I need to get involved. See, he reasons with you about ministry. See, God only works in you, again, as he works through you. See, when Jesus saves, he saves you because he needs to use you. As people say, you ever heard, heard people say, use me, Lord. You ever heard, have you ever said that? Oh, use me, God. And then he uses you, and you get complained because it's not according to your schedule. The clay doesn't tell a potter what to make. Right? See, Jesus said, because he wants to use you. That's when the training begins. So you deal with the sin. Now you're dealing with the ministry. And now God wants to begin to train you. Right? And the Holy Spirit says, okay, you're in training. And the training, like here, is like a preparation for a week. But the training really happens when you're attentive to the the voice voice of God. And you're walking in your streets. And God said, okay, I'm going to send you out there among wolves. Among wolves? Yeah. Who? What, What wolves? Your family. Oh, yeah, they're messed up. Your friend, oh, they're even worse.
1: Your husband, oh, he's the worst.
0: Your wife, you know what I mean? He begins to send you out like a lamb among wolves, the Bible says. Why? Because Jesus says the, the harvest is plentiful. There's people out there going to hell. And if there's so many people going to hell, and there's so few believers, stopping them. We've got to stop everybody from going to hell. Doesn't that, doesn't that matter to anybody anymore? See, the first wave, that's the only thing that that, that hit us. We gotta keep people from going to hell, because we all knew we were going to hell, right? In Matthew 10, verse 5, he sends out 12. And while under service, these 12 go out, Jesus begins to share his power with them. See, people want God's power, but you gotta get sent to get this power, right? First, we must put our life into service, then we are given authority. And I don't care where you're at, but if you begin to put your life into service with wherever you're at, then God and heaven will begin to recognize, okay, there's one moving. They listened to Pastor Al when he said, Go go and do something. And now I got to pour some, I got to give them some authority because their words are useless. But their words, with my authority, begin to do something. And all of a sudden, you go out there and you begin to speak, and people start listening. What happened? Because you stepped out by faith, you, you, you get sent out, and you're beginning to share the gospel. Now, God is obligated to equip you. If you don't share, He doesn't need to equip you. Right? Then we're given authority. We don't really do anything to to deserve it. We just, we simply show up. I I didn't deserve an anointing or a calling. I just kept coming to church. I kept serving. And the next thing I know, boom, I had an authority. I go, wow, people are actually listening to me. I tell them to go do something, they do it. That's a trip. Before, nobody listened to me. And the more I served, the more authority. Uh, then when I began to operate in my authority, all of a sudden God said, okay, I'm going to take you to another level. Because I'm dealing with your ministry now. I'm going to move you to another level. Now I'm not going to give you authority, but I'm going to throw in some power. So now i got authority and power. Why? Because I decided to serve. I decided to serve. Why? Because I dealt with the sin. Because God reasoned with me. Huh? John 20, 19 reads like this. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This is when he appeared to them. Right after, after the crucifixion, he says, after he said that he showed them his hands on his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw Jesus. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Okay, now, but notice, that, that, that's heavy. He goes, I'm going to send you. And then right after that, verse 22, this is the best part. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So without service, you will never receive the Holy Spirit. You might speak in tongues, but you're just faking it. You're just going to have it out. No, you're faking it. Uh -uh. Because if you're not doing service with, without, with, with, with right, intent, without malice, without manipulation, if you're serving the right way, God will breathe on you. If you're not, you're just going to get busy and do stuff, but you will not have that God breath authority and power. It just doesn't happen. And said, so, but everybody want God, I want it. Well, you want it. Get busy. That's, it. That's simple. Show up and get busy and you watch the authority and the anointing come. God will reason with you. The third thing it is, because these are the major parts in your life. Listen, first is your mind, then your ministry. And the third thing, which is, I don't know if they're in the same order, they might be in that order, is your money. The last thing for people to get saved is, they come, oh God, save me. The last thing they get saved is their pocketbook. That's a backslider. They're all saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, but their wallet is backslidden. They haven't given a tithe or an offering since they've been in church. And they call themselves a Christian. Listen, my friend, if you have not given, you are not a Christian. It just doesn't work that way. Everybody who has been touched by God gave. From Melchizedek, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, from Paul, from every anointed man or woman of God, when they were touched by God, the first thing they did was begin to give. And God will reason with you. He's not, because he's a gentleman. He's not going to force you. He's going to reason with you. Huh? He'll, he'll talk to you. Hello, on, somebody's getting real quiet now. In my life group, we talked about contentment, right? Everybody first turn to 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6. How many of us want to be content? I want to be content, wherever I'm at. I want to be happy, content, right? In my life group, we talked about that. And it says there in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world... And we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, and with these we will be content. Verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, to a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It is that desire to have wealth that people have left the faith, the Bible says. Now, here's here's the hard part. First, let me give you seven global facts. Facts. Nearly half the world's population lives on less than $2.50 a day. Half the world, over 3 billion people. Of those 3 billion, 1.3 billion live on less than $1.25 a day. $1.25 a day. In the Philippines, in San Pedro, they get paid $10 a day to work, $10 a day. In Manila, you're making money. You might get $15 a day. Second fact, 22,000 children die each day. 22,000 die each day of poverty. Number three, 805 million people worldwide do not have enough food to eat. More than 700. Number four. More than 750 people. 750 million people lack adequate access to drinking water, which kills an estimated 2,300 people per day just because of water. This thing that we often leave laying around half full. You know what I'm talking about? Let me get a drink of water. Adequate. Pretty heavy. Let me keep reading. One, two, three, four, five. For lack of drinking water, preventable diseases like diarrhea and pneumonia take the lives of two million children per year. Number six, a quarter of all humans live without electricity. Approximately 1.6 billion people have no electricity. Now, has anybody ever lived without electricity? Oh, you know how it is when the you know, Colorado Springs Utility turn, give you that red thing, that love letter? Oh, we love you. We love you, but we're turning off your electricity. Amen, they don't love you that much. <laughs> it's rough. Your food in your refrigerator, right? Nothing, everything's all messed up, right? Imagine living your life like that with no electricity ever. Huh? Last 80%. Of the world's population live on less than $10 a day. 80%. That's almost the whole world lives on less than $10 a day. Okay, why do I say that? Notice the language Paul used to describe the drive and desire to constantly acquire more in verse 9 and 10. Right? He said, but those who, who desire to be rich fall into temptation snare, into senseless and harmful desires. Now, here's the challenge for believers in America. Us. Us. Here's the challenge. Are you ready for it? Everyone in this room is born rich. Every one of us in this room is born rich. And our challenge is, Paul says, those who are rich get trapped. They fall into temptation, into snares. Every one of us in this room, we're born rich. That's pretty heavy. That's the challenge. Huh? See, Paul says this temptation plunges people into ruin and destruction. And I think we can see it. We've seen it. We are among the wealthiest people who have ever lived. There's never been a society like ours. Now, I'm saying this, it's not because oh, we should feel bad. Of course not. No, we should. We're blessed. It's not. That we have, that's the issue. It's how we use what we have is that issue. Huh? So we are tempted all the time to find contentment in what we own. We're te- and it's difficult because on TV, even TV says, don't you want that? I go, yeah, I'd like to have that. And we don't even need it, but man, the TV is so convincing. Right? Come on, now, that just, just, just me. And we're, we're inundated, inundated, inundated. Well, I want this. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Oh, that'd be nice. Oh, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah, that be nice. Right? We're inundated with temptation. Right? So, what do we do? Since we're the wealthiest in the world, we find contentment in what we own. We have to learn to find contentment in who owns us. That's the challenge. Do we find contentment that God owns us? Or do we find contentment in what we own? Hmm? See, most live a life of self-destruction or self-mutilation. Because it says, for the love the love of money and the desire of riches lead to an unfulfilled life. So God reasons with us about our wealth. What are you doing with your wealth? What do you do with what you have? Huh? The most damaging asset that affects your life is money. Nothing else. Money. Everything that we want. That is what will damage you the most. Why? Because money is a magnifier. I've I've said this often. It's a magnifier. And I'm going to use Jose because he's right in front of me. If Jose was a maniaco. But he's not. I'm just using an example. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll use a, I'll use a, a fictitious person because Jose's making faces. If, if Harold, right here, was a pervert, right, and he was poor, had no money, he couldn't too much, do too much damage because he's just a poor pervert. But if Harold won the lotto and he, he got $10 million, what would $10 million make Harold? It would magnify who he is. So oftentimes you say, God, I want this. And God will look at you and say, your life is a mess. You haven't reasoned with your sin. You haven't done with your ministry. You haven't done all these things. And you want money? Uh -uh Uh-uh. Because if I gave you money, it would magnify your sin, your wretched, deceitful heart. I ain't going to give you that. I'm going to make you struggle to keep you in check. In fact, he's doing it for your own good. Because if he did give you the money, he might as well just say, okay, Harold, you want that? Here's $10 million, go to hell. <laughs> might as well just say that. Because he has to reason with you with your money. So the fourth thing he does, he reasons with you with your personality. Coming in for landing, almost. So our emotions represent our personality. And when your emotions are tested The real you shows up. Like I said, my trial from January to here, my emotions, everything was tested. And God said, be cool. It's easy for you to say. It's okay. Why? Be cool. John Wooden, famous basketball coach for UCLA Bruins, he said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is what what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Huh. You have to, and so he wants to deal with who you are. And your personality deals with your attitude. huh? You know, you always talk about when we say, hey, that so-and-so has a good attitude or a bad attitude. You ever say that? You know, attitude. Attitude is an inward feeling expre- by, expressed by behavior. Your attitude. Huh? And he's checking. He needs to reason with you. How are you going to act? How are you not going to act? you got to behave. you got to be careful. Attitude. Is an outward expression. Attitude determines your approach of life. Your attitude is your advanced man. People look at your attitude and they figure out who you are. Your attitude, that's your public relations manager. Your attitude lets people know where you're coming from, of your true self. Your attitude, its roots are inward, but the fruit is outward. And what do we see? We see a person's personality. Oh, this guy, this girl. Oh, man. And Because her attitude, you know, that, that attitude, that personality, nobody wants to be around you. Huh? Nobody wants to talk. Nobody, you, nobody gets along. And that person who nobody gets along with blames everybody else. Because there, there's, and there, there's, and there, and there, and there. Listen, if nobody likes you, something's wrong with you. I'm, I'm not even a psychiatrist, and I can figure that one out. Right? So how do we know we have a good or bad attitude? The attitude is is your best friend, or it could be your worst enemy. Attitude is more honest and consistent than words from your mouth. Attitude. Huh? It's an outward look based on an inward feeling. Hello? Yes. Attitude is a thing that draws people to us and repels them from us. Attitude determines how we perceive things, people, and events. Hmm? And one thing about an attitude is never content until it's expressed. In other words, sometimes people say, well, I just gotta let everyone know that I'm mad. Why? Yeah. Because so they can know. <laughs> oh. You know, that's what they get. If they didn't want me acting act like this, then if they, they, should, they shouldn't do this to me because it's their fault. Whoa, okay, sister, attitude. Hmm? Attitude. Attitude is the, the librarian of your past. So when I say your attitude... I know who you are. I know what type of past you have just by looking at your attitude. I just got to go to your library and check out a book. Idiot book. Oh, that's the idiot part. I know, how, that's how they, oh, let me see, let me go to your library and check out what you became. Mama spanked you too much. Daddy didn't love you enough. Okay, that works when you're about eight years old. Now you're grown up, you've got a full mustache and a beard. Give me a break. Don't work no more. You're responsible for your attitude. That's right. That's right. See, attitude is the speaker of our present. Because people with attitudes can't help but open their mouths. They want to keep quiet, but they can't. They just can't. They can't control themselves. People come up and they, What about him? What about them? What about them? Brother, shut up. I'm trying to tell you what to do, man. Easy. Why are you picking on me? Attitude. You know anybody like that? Don't look around. Don't point no fingers. Don't go like this. Attitude is the profit of your future. If you have a bad attitude, I know, I know how your future will be. It ain't going to be nothing nice. If you have a good attitude, I'm going to prophesy you. You will be a blessed person. Because your attitude will set you in, in, in the right Uh, frame of mind. People will want to be around you. Employers will want to hire you. People might even loan you $165,000 when you ain't got no money. Attitude. See, God was showing me be cool. Trust me. Believe in me. I got your back. You think I got your back? I got your back. Attitude. Some of you lose $100 and you want to beat somebody up. That's all it takes? You're worth a hundred bucks? If, you know? Something like People like that, let me know. I'll give you a hundred bucks so you can split now. That's a cheap giveaway. Huh? See, God reasons with your attitude. Come on, let's talk about this. Huh? You need to check to see if your personality affects your relationship. Hmm? See, this will help you develop a different spirit. What leads to number five, my last point. I think. Yeah, maybe. It depends how I feel. It depends on my attitude. <laughs> the Bible says Caleb had a different spirit. Numbers fourteen twenty four says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants will possess it. He said, I'm going to, because this guy Caleb, man, he's something else. He he was 40 when he first uh, came in contact with me. He's 80 now, and he endured, even though everybody else was no good, and they all died in the desert. Caleb never gave up. He never stopped believing. I'm going to bring you into the promised land, Caleb, but let me let you in on something. I know you're kind of old now, but your descendants will get it. Why? Because you have a different spirit. There's something different about you, Caleb. Something. You ever met a saint? Now, we're not Catholics, but a saint. We're all supposed to be saints, correct? See, but the one thing I I understand and I like is saints are called saints because through their lives and often their deaths, the saints imitated Christ and embodied Christ-like virtues. That's a saint, Right? See, the concept of virtue has Old Testament roots, which was used to to imply ability, efficiency, and moral worth. In the New Testament, the Greek, arete, mean focus on a person's excellence of their actions. Virtue comes from the word in the Greek, dynamis, meaning power, influence. So when you have virtue and you have the right spirit, you have dynamite, you have influence. That same word is the word when God, when Jesus healed, is said virtue remo- left Jesus and it healed people. It was that dynamite, that power. See, that's a different spirit. The spiritual power, excellence, moral worthiness, and the healing are the original marks of virtue of Christ. So your character, your personality, your attitude affects your spirit. So you have to have a different spirit. Because mm-hmm. if you have the right spirit, you'll, you develop good relationships. You have a relationship with brethren, with your children, maybe with teams. When you have a good spirit, it strengthens intimacy. Wives, your husband caresses you. What are your thoughts when, when, you, when you have that intimacy? Oh, he loves me. He, lo- he caresses me. He's making me feel so good. Why? Because it's that intimacy that's there. You're, you have a different spirit. They sense it. There's something, there's a virtue coming to you. See, so your spirit is often seen by what you do. Huh? By what you do. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. See, he had a different spirit. A different spirit. How do you act in times of challenges and adversity, when things ain't going your way. Do you get all in the flesh? Do you cuss people out? You get on your Facebook or your messenger and start typing things you shouldn't be typing? And then you say, I love the Lord. Liar. Hmm. Which leads to where I want to get you in the first place. Your heart. See, God wants to reason with your heart. Because he needs to change your heart. He wants to give you a pure heart. And he needs to get to your heart. So everything I've said was to this. So he reasons with us. Because the goal when God sees you, he knows that the heart of man is desperately wicked. He wants to get to your heart. So what does he do? He starts with your mind. He deals with your mind. Then after he deals with your mind, he begins to deal with your ministry. Because he needs to get into you. He needs you to start doing things so he can begin to show you things. He deals with your ministry. Then he deals with your money because the love of money ruins people. You can't serve God and money. And he doesn't care about things. He's trying to get to your heart. Then he deals with your your mind, your ministry, your money. Then he begins to look at your personality. And he deals with your your attitude, how you are. He's working with you, working with you, working with you. Then he he finally gets there. Now he wants to deal with the spirit, the anointing, the power. He begins to get deeper and deeper. Why? Because he needs to get someplace that's so vital. He needs to get to your heart. But he he can't get to your heart because you have these five roadblocks, I call it, that never allow the anointing of the Holy Spirit to get to you. And most fail along the route because they don't like being told, being shown, being rebuked, being chastised. They don't even like Pastor Al's message this morning. But he's trying to get to your heart. I'm trying to get to your heart. Why? Because once I can get to your heart, then I can truly develop you in the dark. Develop you in the dark. Very interesting. Being developed in the dark. So we're like film. Being developed. Now, nowadays you don't have develop. It's all digital and you print it on a a dot matrix printer. They print your picture, right? You get Right. But that's modern. But in, but in the old days, they used to develop pictures from film. And then with that film, you had five components. You had water, developer, stabilizers, scissors and film. And with those five components not very complicated, really, you could take that film like the old days don't have now, but the back they had the film, and you can develop the film. One thing you needed to do to ensure that the film was developed properly, you had to turn off all the lights. And then you could open the film. At this point, when you do that, there should be no light in the dark room. Check this. If you can see in front of you, there's too much light. You can't develop the film. Hmm? See, Christians in America need to be developed. See, too much light will overexpose the film and ruin the picture, right? You know what overexpose. And if you've seen a bad picture, it's like washed out or you can't make it. Good. The film was overexposed. Then you have, then you ruin the picture. Now, this is very interesting. I'm, I'm, go ahead. I'll bring my piano player. The picture. Another word for picture is likeness. So, if I look up, there's Nikki. And Pastor Sonny. Is that Nikki in Pastor Sonny? Well, no. It's a likeness of Nikki in Pastor Sonny. That's not Nikki. His head's not that big. That's a likeness. That is a picture. It's not him, but it is him. Are you with me? So we need to, to, to be developed into whose likeness? Come on. Bible says that we were created to be like God. Like, not him. We're like him. Like, we're his likeness. We say we're Christians. Why are we Christians? Because we're like Christ. You're and the only way you can get to that point, you need those four, five roadblocks. Why? Because he got to get to your heart. Once he gets to your heart and he's got you, you're not going to backslide. You're not going to run. You're not going to sin. You're not going to do all the dumb things that knock people out. You're not going to do that more. He's got you. He's worked you through those five things. He says, now, i got your heart. Yes, I'm taking you to the dark. Oh, Orashatakara. That's where I've been for five months. In the dark. To the point where you don't know what's going to happen. You can't even see down the road no more. Why? Because God's got your heart. See, he doesn't want to take you there. Why? Because you're not ready for it. You're probably in one of those five areas. But his goal is to get to your heart. When you say, he's got my heart. No, 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 no. this back is very simple. Uh, Yeah, did he deal with your money first? Did he deal with your ministry? If he hasn't done there, then he hasn't gotten your heart. Those things must be in order before he can even get your heart. Those are major roadblocks, especially in this country where we're born into temptation. And everything else has got our attention. Hmm? See, Christians in America are overexposed. There are Christians that come and never dealt with the, the money, their ministry, their personality, their care, none of that. They've never dealt with that. They come in here and they've got all this knowledge. Huh? I got 38 Bibles, 190 uh, uh, books of, for Bible books, maps, treasures that I bought. I have on one program in this computer. I, this talk about overexposure. And every one of you have been overexposed by the gospel. You have so much knowledge of Jesus. You know about the Holy Spirit. You know about speaking in tongues. You understand. You know about the anointing. But you haven't been dealt in those areas. And you're overexposed. But why? Because those things, the reality of those things only get revealed in the dark. And he can't get to you because he hasn't gotten your heart yet. Why? Because if he does, you'll leave. That's too heavy. That's too hard. What's wrong? No, uh-uh. Uh-uh. No way. Some of you guys leave and can't serve God because you don't even know how to tithe. Oh, all, 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 all. you want the money. We don't want your money. Don't you understand? We're trying to help you get a relation with God so he can get to your heart. Don't you understand that? See, the attributes of God wants to put into your heart begins in the mind. He reads with you. He allows us to go through tests. He'll, he'll, he'll take you through a walk, and in the middle of the storm, see, in the middle of the storm, during the trial, we're more apt to allow God to reason with us. And your reasoning session, I can call it, begins when God shows you a truth. Now, that truth may come from the pulpit, but she might have heard the truth and snatched it in her spirit. Now, God will begin to deal with her that. He'll reason with her. But the, you, she may not have gotten this, from the same message. Everybody's at the different timetable, different point of walk. Some are still in the mind, some are doing sin, right? Everyone's different. But once you, between you and God, and, you, and He knows and you know that you reveal, receive, receive that truth, now He said, okay, now we're going to have to talk. We're going to have to deal with you. Is God going to have to deal with you? Mold you, shape you, change you, rebuke you, chastise you, bless you, love you, hug you, whatever it takes, God's going to have to come in. And you're going to have to let him. If you don't, you stun your growth. You miss your call. You live in mediocrity. You die in regret. See, you absorb and you understand what is said intellectually. But the Holy Spirit would take you into the deep to teach, not to harm, but to change, to instruct. That's why the, God spoke to the prophet Isaiah, not to a newborn Christian, not to anyone. He spoke, spoke through the prophet Isaiah. He says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. It is that simple of a promise. And God wants you to eat the good of the land. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.